Welcome to the Transformational Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Hannah Anam. My mission is to help you lead more effectively and be an agent of positive change in times of disruption. On this podcast, we interview practitioners and leadership experts and have coaching exercises that you can apply immediately to your work challenges. Together, we learn how to achieve success and create workplaces in a world that work better for all. It's my pleasure today to introduce our podcast audience to Dr. Keith Sawyer. Keith and I are going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and it is really about how we need to change the paradigm of leadership from leadership being done by a leader and a group of followers to leadership as collective flow. And so let me uh, just welcome you to our podcast, Dr. Sawyer. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. And I want to share a little bit more about your bio with our podcast audience. So Dr. Keith Sawyer is a professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's one of the country's leading scientific experts on creativity. He has published 18 books, including Group Genius and Explaining Creativity, and over 100 scientific articles. All of these works have been translated into many, many languages, and his research has actually been featured on CNN, Fox News, Time, NPR, and other media. He's a very popular speaker and lectures to corporations and universities around the world on creativity and innovation. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, Keith. Oh, me too. Yeah, I think we have a lot in common to talk about. Yeah. And so let's just start. I always love to learn a little bit about the human side of the person I'm speaking with here on the podcast. And so I know that, you know, you've had this longtime interest in collective flow or group flow. And I'd love to for you to share with our audience, where did this interest start from? For me, it goes all the way back to childhood or certainly to high school. I've been a pianist for my whole life. In high school, I started playing jazz piano with an ensemble in my high school. And it was a new thing for me because up to that point, I had the traditional classical music lessons and I played alone at home. And I was a pretty introverted person as well. So that suited me. But then when I joined an ensemble and played with other musicians, I didn't know what I was doing. Even though I was technically skilled, I wasn't able to listen to the other musicians and then fit in what I was doing. And it felt like I was learning all over again, really, uh, a new kind of instrument. And then when I started improvising, playing in a jazz ensemble, that was yet again another addition of complexity to have to be coming up with my own parts at the same time that the other musicians were coming up with their parts. And it was overwhelming at the beginning, and it was overwhelming for a couple of years, actually. But as I slowly developed the ability to participate in this collective phenomenon, I really began to enjoy it and seek it out as having this special mindset that I could only get into when I was playing with these other musicians. When I would go back home and practice alone, again, I could sound really good by myself on piano, but I didn't have that same flow experience. Yeah, yeah. So that is such a beautiful metaphor, right? As as you were talking and I was listening, 
what occurred to me in your stories is such a beautiful metaphor. You know, leaders can think of themselves as experts and try to perfect their craft, right? As this is you playing the piano and being fantastic at it all by yourself. But fast forward to today's kind of leadership where it's all about complexity and the unknown and where we're going to collaborate with just an increased number of stakeholders. And now with stakeholder capitalism, it's even people beyond our organizations. We're having to collaborate with people outside our organizations to be able to move our organizations forward. So I love that you talked about this different mindset that you got into. And I love that you talked about it as it's very hard to replicate it when there aren't others. And so share with us this research that you've now 18 books and lots of scientific articles. It's this quest for this, I guess it's an experience, right? Of collective flow that you've been after. I think you're right. I think really leadership, the best kind, is a very similar experience. You can't be a leader and be an isolated individual, or some do, I suppose, where it's all inside their own head and it's all about their own intention and the message they're trying to communicate. But then it's very much one way. And if you tried to do that in a jazz ensemble, it would be horrible. Now, the other musicians would not benefit from what you're doing and but even more would uh, of disadvantage is that you wouldn't benefit from what they're doing so if it's all about you then there's really nowhere to grow you don't have additional creative options coming in and bouncing off ideas from other people i think that's true that the most effective kind of leadership does require a close listening in the same way that to be effective as an improviser, in whether it's theater or music, uh, that's one of the characteristics I associate with group flow is uh, close listening, where you get outside of your own head and you're not listening to see what I can say next that will make myself look good, but you're truly listening to what the other person is actually doing without projecting any expectations onto it. And that's hard, I think, for anyone, not just a musician learning to play jazz, but all of us in everyday social life. And, you know, everybody listening has certainly had interactions with friends or family that don't listen closely. And, you know, it doesn't feel good. Right. And uh, it's hard to have a, a good relationship, whether it's a working relationship or a personal relationship. In my case, I got into this first through jazz performance, and then I discovered improvisational theater. And I was in graduate school at that time at the University of Chicago. And one of the things that I know that you've spoken about here around deep listening, you know, just really what it reminded me is this notion of being completely present to what the person is saying. Oftentimes with my coaching clients, we talk about being present with the individual without any expectations. And I'm curious, you've spoken a lot about emergence as a phenomenon. That's another piece that prior to our podcast uh, conversation, we got into. And I'm curious about 
the link between close listening and emergence. And maybe you can actually just even start by talking about what you, how you think of emergence. Emergence is really at the core of everything I study and everything I think about. I really didn't know that concept or that term when I started my research in graduate school. I went there to study language and linguistic interaction. Then I realized what I was studying was very much like my experience performing in jazz groups. I started playing piano with improvisational theater groups uh, while I was in graduate school and started to sense, I guess, maybe in a felt sense more than an intellectual understanding that something was emerging from the collective of individuals. So you've got two, three, four, five people in some kind of social encounter or musical encounter or theater encounter. And when it's working really well, the group collectively creates something that isn't the creation of any one person in the group. That doesn't happen in all groups. If there's one person who's dominant or you have the leader who wants to control everything, then you don't create something that's uh, greater than the group. You create that one thing that the dominant person wanted. But if everyone has a sort of equal status, there's equal participation, which is another characteristic of group flow, then you can blend the egos. And what happens is something greater than the sum of the parts. So I stumbled on this term emergence in the middle of this research and realized that there's a large body of theory work and empirical work on emergence uh, in general, not just in social life. It's a phenomenon where you have some sort of group of individuals, or some people would say it's a system of individuals. And then when all those come together, all the people come together in some sort of system or systemic relationship, then the system can result in the emergence of something greater than any one of the elements of the system. And it's as if you have sort of almost two levels of reality. You've got the level of reality, which is the individual, what their intention is, what they're doing, what their actions are. And then another level of reality, which is the social level, right? Which in a sense has its own autonomy and it, and you create it and it's independent now of what any of the individuals in the system were doing or thinking. Yeah. I'm curious about emergence because our work of leadership today is incredibly complex. We're navigating a lot of complexity and We need more than the sum of the parts in order to navigate that complexity. And a lot of the people that listen into the podcast are leaders working in complex environments. And what, based on your research on emergence and creative flow and group genius, what are the conditions that a leader or a group of people can create or co-create together that allow this higher level of creativity to flow through. In a traditional organizational forum, going back 100 years to the factory floor, you would have a division of labor. You needed lots of different people. So you had individuals each doing something. But what they did was aggregated to the next level up, the organization level. Each person's work, you add it together and you get 100 people's work. And 
who aggregates that is going to be the leaders at the top of the organization. But what's happening is completely additive and it's predictable. There's no opportunity for unexpected innovation to occur. When you have people interacting with each other, then that's when you have the opportunity for unexpected things to emerge from those interactions and the potential for the organization to be more than additive. And you get something that is greater than the sum of the parts. So you get a, really, it has a much more powerful potential to have this. I think of it, I guess we could say a modern organizational form going back really from what I've looked at in the history of management scholarship, it was in the 1960s when scholars first began to notice that the organizations that were the most innovative, the organizations that were best able to deal with changing environments were the ones that had this organic form. And by organic, meaning that the individuals were not in boxes associated with their specific roles and task assignments, but there's more fluidity more potential for each individual in the organization to take actions that wouldn't necessarily be assigned mm. by a leader. My graduate advisor was a man named Mike Chicksamihai, who became very famous in the 1990s when he wrote a book called Flow. The subtitle was The Psychology of Optimal Experience. He's a psychologist who decided he was going to study individuals who were incredibly talented, who were performing at the top of their field and wanted to know what is the experience like of performing at that high level, very much focused on what's going on in the moment for those individuals and identified a set of characteristics of that peak experience that he he came to call flow that involved a certain kind of focus and concentration. You lose track of time. You're so much enjoying the experience that you do it for its own sake. You're not thinking about the external rewards. You just are, you're really not thinking, actually. You're just having an incredible experience doing it. And it's not even something you would call fun necessarily. It's certainly not relaxing. So really, what's a peak experience is not sitting on the beach and enjoying the sun. I mean, that is a nice experience, but the peak experiences he identified really involved a lot of energy, I guess you could say, energy, focus, concentration. It required expertise. There's a certain uh, level of knowledge and skill that you require so that you can feel like you have some level of control when you're not in control, you do not have a peak experience, right? But at the same time, if you're 100% in control, you also are not having a peak experience because it becomes boring and predictable. So it's that balance between control and openness, I guess, that is associated with the flow experience. When I took this theory and started analyzing creative groups, I found the same sort of productive tension, I guess, between planning and structure on the one hand, and then on the other hand would be the flexibility, the improvisation, the organic openness of what's going on. And it's that balance when you get it right, that you get your group gets into group flow. 
where the group is having a peak experience as a group. Group flow is something that emerges, right? It's not something that happens to one person in the group. The people in the group have individual flow. Hopefully, they are having their own peak experience. If you're in a jazz ensemble and you're on stage and the it's going incredibly well for the audience, the members of the group are going to be having their own peak experiences. But group flow is something at the group level where I guess I would say it's never the case that something is 100% improvised. A jazz ensemble or an improvisational theater group, it's improvised, but it's improvised within guiding structures of some sort. If it's music, you know, you're all playing in the same musical key, time signature. In many cases, you're improvising over a song form that all the musicians will know. All those different structuring elements that serve to guide the improvisation that happens within it. So that's uh, where I see group flow happening is that when that balance becomes just right and the balance that can move around in the middle of the performance, right? You may have more structure at the beginning. You might release the structure halfway through, become more improvised. And, you know, if you have an incredible group of people coming together, then that balance itself can continue to change. So what are the characteristics that are more likely to lead to that happening? I've identified a set of 10 that are all, I guess, fit within the basic idea of creating this balance between structures and improvisation. I've mentioned a few, I guess I would start with a kind of close listening where each member of the group is uh, listening to what the other members of the group are doing, but listening in a way that isn't guided by what your goals are. Open listening. Then, right, right. Then you're not really, you're listening, um, I guess, I don't know, to a- accomplish something yourself. And then you're not actively listening to what's coming from that person. So the close listening is actually hearing what their intention is, I guess. Uh, it's about the intentionality. And then, and not having a plan mm. for what you're going to do in response to what that person doing. So improvisational theater actors, they will talk about writing the script in your head. And that's one of the worst things you can do as an actor, where you think ahead a couple of lines of dialogue to where you think the scene is going to go. So when your partner on stage says something, it probably is not going to fit exactly (laughs) into what your mind has predicted. So you're not going to hear it. You're going to hear it as it fits into your plan. And then it's going to be a bad performance because you are going to, uh, instead of responding to that person, you're going to be continuing with your own plan. And then you no longer have emergence, the emergence that comes from the continuing interaction between two people. So that's close listening, really. It has to come in a space where you're not thinking ahead and you're not focused on your own plan. That particular mindset is hard for people. We certainly do it in organizational settings. People generally have tasks they want to complete and they have 
goals they want to accomplish in their careers. So, you know, we all want things to unfold in a certain way in every interaction that we have. And that really does serve to block the potential of something unexpected to emerge. Close listening is essential. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. I, there's so much there uh, that I want to unpack, but I think the part that you, I just really want to honor here is the part about giving up your own agenda and your own desire to control an outcome in order for creativity to emerge, in order for emergence and new ideas to come through. Every member of the group has to be able to and willing to kind of trust each other enough so that they let go of the agenda and trust the group process. That's right. People are uncomfortable with uncertainty. Uh, it's one of the most basic psychological findings is that in the, in the face of uncertainty, people get anxious. Yeah. And then the instinct is to try to return the encounter to certainty. And the way you do that is by trying to put yourself in control, right? And then you're planning ahead for the encounter. It can be very frightening to engage in this kind of improvisational encounter when you are listening and the person you're with is taking over half or is uh, performing half of the encounter. So you only are in control of half. And that's it's frightening. And one of the characteristics of group flow is trust. It's important to be able to trust the people that you're interacting with. If you don't have that trust in each other, then that anxiety of uncertainty is going to take over. And then your chance of group flow is blocked. It can happen when people first meet, but really it would require all of those individuals to all have this mindset that we're describing, right? Of, of the close listening of, I think you can, you can trust, I guess it's not necessarily trusting the other person, but it's trusting in the process, the interactions unfolding in a certain way. And if you've had this experience many, many times, then you do learn to trust the process, like with jazz musicians. You don't know what's going to happen. There is a lot of uncertainty. You might have never met these musicians before that you get up on stage with, but you know the process. And you know from past experience that when you have these characteristics in place that result in group flow, then group flow is going to happen. Beautiful. I love that. I absolutely love that. So close listening involves trusting the process. And how can we let go of our desire for control and be open to what is emerging? That's the first factor and condition that I heard you talk about. Tell us about the rest. So I would say, you know, another characteristic I associate with group flow is when you're blending egos together. So you need to control your own ego, which is our normal instinct, is to be thinking about ourselves and what we want and what our needs are, what we want to happen in this particular encounter. For group flow to occur, everybody in the group has to restrain that, that natural instinct and think about 
blending everyone's ego together. And that blending is what results in the emergence of something unexpected. And when you have that ability for all of the performers or all of the individuals in an organization, the close listening then combines with another characteristic of group flow that I think of as uh, moving it forward. Um, And improvisational theater actors will use this simple two-word phrase. They say, yes, and. And the yes is the close listening. You hear what somebody else is doing and you fully accept it for what it is, not for what you want it to be. But that's only the first step. If you just you say yes, yes to some everything else somebody else says, then you're not contributing to the group emergence. So in addition to that close listening, you also need to be able to take actions in response. And that is a second characteristic of group flow that I call moving it forward. Mm-hmm. And the improv actors will say yes and. So the close listening followed by contributing something new. And you know, if you're a beginning improviser, I think the first the first thing you develop is the ability to listen closely. It takes a while because your instinct is to plan ahead and write the script in your head. And when you do that, what happens is you don't fully respond to what someone else says. And that results in what improv actors call denial. <laughs> you're not listening and you're thinking it's going to be something else. So in response to the other actor, you say the thing you were going to say anyway. Ah, so you're not really listening. <laughs> not responding, you're not listening. And in a sense, uh, actors have several different terms for what happens, but it all comes from you know basically ignoring what that other person does. And it results in a really bad scene because yeah. it's not moving forward. It's not emerging from- Something is from stuck, right? Like it feels like resistance. Like something is stuck. And when there's a lot of resistance, I guess there can't be a lot of flow. That's right. Yeah. So all the energy is focused on the resistance yeah. right? <laughs> between people and it's not working and you're wasting that energy that could have been used to build something together. Yeah. And by the way, at this point, I really want to let our podcast audience know that Keith and I are talking in emergence. I didn't send Keith a bunch of questions to say, here's the questions we're going to talk about on the podcast. And, and it's sort of a lot of it is just, it's kind of, we're practicing what you're talking about, Keith. And I I really appreciate that. Well, yes, you're right. Absolutely. And I can attest to the podcast audience that no, we have not planned. (laughs) And uh, I was not given a list of questions ahead of time. And there, you know, so we do trust each other, right? Uh, Because I think, uh, you know, we had some communication ahead of time and I know your work and, you know, my work and uh, it has a sort of shared understanding, I guess, that comes from that. And same with a jazz ensemble. You know, I can sit down and play with other musicians that I've never played with before. And if we're all uh, talented and are familiar with the genre and the style of playing, it's going to sound good. But when you play together with the same people over time, that familiarity does result in greater group flow. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that I heard you say that I loved is this idea of, you know, trusting the process. Even if you have not met the person and played with the person, if you are an improvisational performer, 
then if you just trust the process, you know how to let go of your ego and you know how to let go of the agenda that you have in your head. And you know that something good is going to emerge from all of that. Another characteristic of group flow is this potential for failure. Yeah. When you have this uncertainty and everyone's improvising, sometimes it doesn't go well, right? You do end up going mm-hmm. down a dead end mm-hmm. or, you know, it's it maybe seems like it's going well, and but it ends up being in a place where, you know, it, it's not going to go further. So you need to trust in the process because that's very frightening. And the process is what gets you out of what seems to be a failure, uh, because then you can actually reinterpret what seems like a failure into a new frame. And then that apparent failure can actually contribute to something better and more surprising. Uh, But that's, again, it's a pretty advanced ability to I guess maybe that's that's my tenth characteristic of group flow yeah. is this potential for failure and trusting in the process to uh, like I say reframe that apparent failure into something that could drive it even further. Yeah, and I'm thinking like the example that's just now popping in my head is um, post its right. Post its were created out of a quote unquote apparent failure that 3M had. In terms of their glue, you know, whatever they were developing was not really sticking very well. Oh, absolutely. That's one of my favorite examples where there was a, you know, a researcher at 3M and, you know, they make adhesives and he's trying to invent another adhesive and uh, he creates something that doesn't stick very well. So <laughs> that's a failure. You want your adhesives to stick well. I think it was a year or so, but he bumped into a colleague at one of these meetings and didn't think anything of it. But it turned out this other person was a singer in his church choir. And at the next choir rehearsal, the hymnal is big. <laughs> You've got a couple hundred songs in it. So you always have these little pieces of paper, the bookmarks, and they would fall out as you're thumbing through the hymnal. And that's when he had the idea, oh, you know, that adhesive that's kind of not such a great adhesive, you know, that could, we could put this on our slips of paper and it would stick in the hymnal and make a better bookmark. So that was an example of a, a sort of group genius because it was two different people that were contributing to the emergence of the uh, post-it note. Amazing, amazing. So I'm curious, are there other essential conditions out of the 10 that you want to really make sure? So you spoke about deep listening as being really important and kind of being willing to trust the process and give up on your agenda. And you spoke about this willingness to reframe failure to see what is this good for? Oh, absolutely. So yes, one of the characteristics of group flow is that you're blending egos. It's not about any one person's ego or goals. And when you say blending ego, I actually wanted to ask about that, um, Keith, because what you're really talking about is putting the whole ahead of the self, right? The team's mission, purpose, um, goals ahead of my particular silo goal 
that I'm trying to get done. Is that what you mean by blending egos? That's right. First of all, it's controlling your own ego, yeah. holding it back yeah. more so than you normally would in an interaction. And when everyone's doing that together, then that creates a space where you can be focused on the collective, on all working together to create something because you now you've experienced the process, you've learned to trust in the process, and you know that something is going to emerge, even though you don't know what it is, and that uncertainty can be anxiety provoking. When you learn to trust the process, then you know this is the only way yeah. something new is going to emerge if you restrain your ego and uh, everyone else has room for their egos as well. So everybody has a little bit of ego, right? Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you'll just be passive and you won't be contributing anything. Yeah. Uh, so, And that's connected to another characteristic of group flow, which is equal participation, right? Every person in the group needs to be participating if you have one person who's taking up 50% of the time and, you know, five other people each doing 10%, that's less likely for something to emerge from the group. It's not truly distributed. So a little bit distributed, but more distributed would be five people where you're each 20%. And Mm. in that case, it's more likely that something will emerge. Mm. So I would say that Yes, you have to do those things where you have a plan and you have an intention and a goal and you have a deadline. But if you don't have all those things, then pull back that instinct to do that because now you don't have to do that. You don't have the deadline. I'm saying if you're in that situation, if you're fortunate enough uh, to have some spare capacity where you're not focused on the deadline all the time and accomplishing the plan you have all the time. As a matter of fact, it is really hard to have this kind of emergence in group flow if everyone is totally slammed 110% with the task they had to get done. I think it really does require some space in the schedule. And so particularly innovative companies like Google does this and 3M does this and Gore does this. Gore is one of my favorite innovative companies. They all have figured out a way to create a space in everyone's day where they don't have to focus on a specific project or a specific task. So let's say it's 90% of the time, you know what you're supposed to do and there's a plan and there's a deadline and the boss is going to come check to see if you did that. But that's 90%. The other 10%, that's the group flow time where you don't necessarily have the plan and you're interacting with other people in this kind of multiply interpretable communicative messages and then surprising new things can emerge and it's that 10 percent time where you get uh, creative innovations for new products Mm, yeah i love that idea of creating spaciousness for the mind to wander and discover something new that's right. It's the collective mind wandering. Yes. <laughs> yes. Collective. Uh, yeah. If you're only doing what you plan and what you know already, then it's too predictable, right? You won't have as many surprising new ideas. So you need that kind of improvisational interaction. And then, you know, it's not only about the individual, but it's about the group. I love that. And beautiful summary words, right? It's not only about the individual, it's about the group in terms of really redefining leadership. And I'm so grateful to you 
Keith, for joining us on the podcast today. And yeah, very excited about your further research into group flow and collective flow and emergence. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Hannah Anam. Please rate, comment, and share our podcast with those you care about. Be the leader who helps others grow and thrive in times of disruption. You can visit our website at www.transformleaders.tv. There, you'll find other great tools to grow your leadership and be a force for good in these times. Until the next time, my friends.